the palace and was welcomed with all due form by the she-snake. You know this? Through Kenami, of course. How else? Akama Peachley's voice was sardonic. After the events of the previous year, we were both in disgrace, I guessed. Not that I'd ever been in much of a state of grace, but I'd spoken out against the election of the current revered speaker— and Akama Peachley had plotted against him with foreigners, making us both outcasts at the current court. The she-snake, who deputized for the revered speaker, wouldn't have wanted to countermand his master. And, I asked, I wouldn't have been surprised if Kenami had given us only part of the information, to keep us as much in the dark as the pilgrims milling in the sacred precinct. Other messengers went out yesterday morning, Akama Peachley said with drums and trumpets and incense burners. I let out a breath I hadn't been conscious of holding. It's a victory, then. Akama Peachley's face was a careful blank. Or considered as such. What did he know that he wasn't telling me? It would be just like him, serving his own interests best, playing a game of handing out and withholding information like the master he was. You know it's not a game. Akama Peachley stared at me for a while, as if mulling over some withering response. And you take everything far too seriously, Akatl. As I said, the Fifth World can survive. I had my doubts, especially given that the death of the previous revered speaker had resulted in city-wide chaos, which we'd survived only by a hair's breadth. What else did Kenami tell you? Akama Peachley grimaced. Kenami didn't tell me anything, but I have other sources. They're saying we only won the coronation war because the revered speaker called it a victory. I fought the growing nausea in my gut. A coronation war was proof of the revered speaker's valor, proving him worthy of the southern hummingbird's favor, and bringing enough sacrifices and treasures for the coronation ceremony itself. The gods wouldn't be pleased by Tisok Tsin's sleight of hand, and I very much doubted they'd make their displeasure felt merely through angry words. And prisoners? Forty or so, Akama Peachley said. It was pitiful. Without enough human sacrifices, how were we going to appease the fifth sun or grandmother earth? How were we to have light and maize in fertile fields? I hope it suffices, I said. I said it before, you worry too much. Come now, let's welcome them home. I pressed my lips together to fight the nausea, and stole a glance at the sky above us. It was the clear, impossible blue of turquoise with no clouds in sight, calm heavens and no ill omens. Perhaps Akama Peachley was right, and perhaps I was going to grow fangs and turn into a coyote, too. Sometime later the sacred precinct was transformed, packed with a throng of people in their best clothes, a riot of colours, of cotton, of cactus fibres and feathers, with circular feather insignias bobbing up and down as if stirred by an unseen breath. Everyone was there, the officials who kept the city running, accompanied by their wood-coloured slaves, the matrons with their hair brought up in two horns in the fashion of married women, carrying children on their shoulders, 
The peasants, too old to go to war, bare-chested and tanned by the sun, wearing a single ornament of gold on their chests. The noblemen, resplendent in their cotton clothes, and standing with the ease and arrogance of those used to ceremony. I stood with the she-snake, Kenami, and Akama Peachley at the foot of the great temple, surrounded by an entourage of noblemen and priests. Everyone's earlobes still dripped with blood, and the combined shimmer of magical protections was making my eyes hurt. I stole another glance at the sky, which remained stubbornly blue. There they are, Kenami said. I could barely see over the heads of the crowd, but Kenami was taller. A cry went up from the assembled throng, a litany repeated over and over until the words merged with each other. O Meshika, O Teshkokans, O Tepanex, people...